could sing of your glory, I will never get tired of telling. I can do it twice if you want me to. Oh, yeah. 
So let's go over, I thank God. It's been a minute since we've done this.
get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Don't stay there. Get up, get up, get up out of that grave. sticks out to you keep that in your heart and pray for those if you feel the need to come up for one of those names come up for one of those names but coming up here is a step of faith it's a step of faith that God sees and he will reward you for it if you come up here for prayer it may not be an immediate miracle but it'll happen at some point it'll happen at some point so at this time we're gonna go into prayer If you have a need, come down to the front. You'll be anointed with oil, and you'll be prayed over. Jesus' name, you know every need. You are able, God. We bless your name, Jesus. There's a name that lives in my
just a mansion makes a way. Giants fall and struggles break, and there is healing. That's the power that I bring. It's the same that rolled the grave. There's no
in church on a Sunday night. Yes, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Before I get to offering, I'd like to share something. So this past Tuesday, I've had, I've had having P7s, which are Bible studies for my school. And the title for it was Know Your Name. And essentially, it was just the power of knowing your name and what you stand for and how people know you and perceive you. Now, the story at the end of it that I chose was in 2 Samuel 9. And in this story, a little context is you have King David, and he's been appointed king over all of Israel. And he goes, and he seeks this royal advisor named Ziba. And he asks Ziba, he goes, is there any man from the tribe of Saul whom I can bless that is still left? Because if you know, Saul and Jonathan are dead by now. And Ziba goes, there is a man, and he is lame in both feet. That's all he tells you about this man. It's all the description he gives you. And David goes, seek him out. Bring him to me. So they go, they seek out this man who is lame in both feet. And you don't even know his name yet. So this man goes and bows before the King David. And King David goes, Mephibosheth, which is what this man's name is. Mephibosheth cries out and says, what do you want with a servant like me? What do you want with a dead dog like myself? And David goes, because you have been blessed in the tribe of Saul, you will sit in my table and eat in my table for all eternity. And my right hand at my table. Now what I got from this story is that David went out of his way to call for this man who he found out was lame in both feet. Now I took David out and I replaced it with God. I took Mephibosheth and I replaced it with myself. Now, God heard that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. He heard that he was imperfect. He heard that he was not whole. But yet he suck him out. Yet he brought him to his table and said, You will sit and eat with me for the rest of eternity, appointed with me. Now the thing is, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're sitting at that table right now or far off or right there. But the thing about Mephibosheth is he had to sit there morning, noon, and afternoon for his dinners. So that means he went away during those times, but yet he always came back to sit at that table. He always had a spot at that table to come back to, just like God calling you to sit at the table. To wrap this up, my favorite part about this story is about Ziba. Now, in this story, Ziba is the enemy because he tries to deter David by telling him that this man is lame in both feet and saying, oh, David, you don't want this man. He's imperfect. You can't use him. But yet David calls him out. Now David heard what Ziba said. He heard him leave out his name for a purpose. Now the funny thing is, Mephibosheth comes to that table and then David goes, Ziba, come here. He said, you see this man? There's lame in both feet sitting at my table right now. He said, you know your sons and your servants? He had 15 sons and 20 servants. He said, you and them will serve Mephibosheth for the rest of your life. You will work in his fields. You will do the duties of this man that you called lame, that you called imperfect. And David didn't care that Mephibosheth was imperfect. David didn't care that he had all these impurities, just like God doesn't care about your situation 
or your scenario. But he says the things that you think are stronger than you, that are higher up than you, the things that cripple you, just one prayer, just one second, and they will be under you. Just one second, and they will work for you to make you stronger. And I've probably read this story 20 times, and I've never looked at it this way, but when you do and you put yourself in these people's feet and circumstances, it's powerful. And as the ushers come, we'll take offering. And I'd like to thank you all for being here, and I hope that your week is blessed. Jesus, I come to you tonight, Lord, I pray for every person, Jesus. Spiritually, financially, physically, emotionally, Jesus, you will guide them throughout this week, God. Bless the giver and the givee, Jesus. Move throughout them, God, with all that you can, Jesus. Let your will be done in your holy name, I pray. Amen.
nothing else that he has to do to deserve our praise, to earn our praise. There's no other miracle he has to perform. There's no other prayer he has to answer. There's no other need that he has to meet to deserve our praise. But because he is good, because of everything we've read in the Bible, of everything we've seen him do, Scripture says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or we can think, knowing that the furthest we can imagine, the greatest we can picture in our minds, he is greater and able to do greater. And I believe greater is in the house tonight to move through us, to move in us, and to propel us into our future. I'm ready. I'm ready to receive it. I'm ready to experience it. I'm ready for God what he's wanting to do. I believe it. I feel him in this house tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you could before we're seated also give our youth praise team a hand clap give them honor where it's due leading us into worship and leading us with worship as well not just leading us to cause us to worship but leading us by their worship is what is so powerful and so I'll uh, jump into our scripture so that way I can let you be seated it will be in Mark 12 30 through 31. More than likely you've heard this before. Mark 12, 30 through 31. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If we could all pray for a moment that God will have his perfect way in this place. Father, I thank you for what you've already done, what we feel in this place. my message tonight is loving God's creation sometimes I try to make it dramatic and hide the title and wait for a great opportunity to slip it in there here it is loving God's creation it's right there and um, I'm here because God wants somebody to to hear this word I don't know who it's for but I know who it's from and that's what's important oftentimes we don't know what the word is for when we're giving it to us, but we know who it's from and we know that's where the power is. I don't know who's going to receive this or what's going to come of it, but I know who it is from. And so I know that there is power 
behind it because I do know that there's things that I will say tonight that I'm not smart enough to come up with. That means somebody else gave it to me, and it was the Lord. And so I am happy to give a word from God tonight. And so I'm going to move into it. But Jesus, he makes it very and extremely clear that loving God and loving people are the greatest commandments that we can have. Not meaning they're the only commandments, but meaning they need to be the foundation of every commandment that we do, of everything we do, that loving God and loving people has to be the root and the foundation of every commandment that we also bring, that root, that love is the root of it all. And so we have 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, that if I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. So this says that you can do every single thing right, that you can have everything on paper look great and look perfect, and you can look like a professional Christian, but if you do not have love in the root of it, it's pointless. You can be the greatest singer, you can be the loudest preacher, you can wear the nicest clothes, but if your actions and your life are not rooted in the love that God commands, it is meaningless. And if we look back at our first, our first scripture, that's what we're commanded to do is to love our neighbor as ourself. And so if you could turn to your neighbor, say, neighbor, I love you. Now don't make it weird, but turn to your other neighbor that you ignored Say, neighbor, I love you too. We put a lot of focus on that, on loving our neighbor. We work really hard on being kind to others, hopefully. Uh, we, we work really hard on loving our neighbor and being kind and being merciful to those that are around us. But there's a part of the scripture that I think we overlook in it, and it is that if we are to love our neighbor, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're going to truly love your neighbor effectively and biblically correctly, you you have to love yourself too. You have to practice before you can love others. You're going to have to practice that love on yourself too. And I'm not talking about a self-centered or narcissistic or self-glorifying love. I'm talking about a difference between loving yourself and being a lover of self. There's a difference. And we're going to get to that in a second. But if we want to be able to effectively and truly love in a biblical context, we have to practice the same biblical love on ourselves. And if some of us loved and treated our neighbors as we treat and love ourselves, we may not have a lot of friends. Is that true? If I said some of the things to you that I've said to myself, y'all might call me a jerk. All right, if I, if I critiqued you the way I critique myself sometimes, you may not want to be around me. If I bash on you the way I bash on myself sometimes, you may not want to ever come around me. And I feel like that's the same for a lot of us, that we work and we try really hard to show love and grace and mercy to those that are around us. And we turn around and we are our own biggest hater, our own biggest critic. And we don't cut ourselves any slack and we tend to really attack ourselves. And so if we are to love our neighbor as ourself, we have to truly practice loving ourself, loving God's creation, which is you. We want to love God, and I, as I go through this message, I'm not going to talk about loving God much, because I want to move through this lesson assuming that that is, we've got, we've got that part, okay? That we love God. 
All right, and we love, our, we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I want that to be established as I don't talk about this often. I don't want you to say, well, I think your focus is getting off track. Let's move on as we've established this. That's the first part. Let's look at the second commandment, which is loving our neighbor as ourself. But to truly love the creator and not love his creation, is, it's a hard thing to separate. You can't really separate those two, but to love the creator, loving the creation is crucial as well, and that is us, and that is loving ourselves. But there are many reasons that we struggle with loving ourselves, and it can come from lies we've been told by the enemy. It can be from past mistakes that we've made that make us feel that we are unlovable, unforgivable, and unable to be used by God. It can result from abusive homes or abusive relationships that have destroyed our self-worth, but by the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus, I believe that those lies are going to be disintegrated tonight. I believe that strongholds are going to be broken tonight. The things that are separating you from living in the love of Christ is going to be separated tonight because I believe that God's love is going to power through and the things that are clouding your mind are going to be unveiled for you to see truly how God sees you and how you are to see yourself moving forward. Does that sound good? That sounds like a good Monday to me. That sounds like a good Monday to me to walk in and not hate on myself anymore, to not look in the mirror and see my past mistakes anymore, but to look in the mirror and see a child of God and to see the one that the God has anointed and chosen to be used for. Oftentimes, I think we can be looking at ourselves like we do, how others looked at Paul even. I've used this story several times before, but God, he calls and he, says, he tells a man to go pray for Saul because he's still Saul at this point. And he said, listen, there's Saul, and, he, and he's blind, and you need to pray for him for him to receive his sight. And, and he says, well, I don't want to go pray for him because, you know, he's been killing Christians, and I really don't want to be around him. I'd rather not. But you know his past. You know what he's been doing. You know what he does. You know what he's capable of. And God says he is a chosen vessel for me. He, I, I know what you see, but I see something in Saul that is completely different. You're seeing Saul the murderer right now, but I'm seeing Paul the church planner right now. You're seeing Saul the one that convicts Christians. I'm seeing the Paul that's going to convert Christians, okay? So you're saying, you're saying well, uh, God, you can't use me. I, I have this addiction. You can't use me. I've done this before. You can't use me. I've been born into this situation. God's saying, I see exactly what you are in, but I see what I've created you to be. And so he's speaking into somebody's life tonight saying, yes, we're aware of where you are. Yes, we are aware of what you have gone through what you've been born into but I am more than aware of what I've called you into out of your darkness and into his marvelous light you just have to answer the call so I'm believing that hearts are going to be changed and minds are going to be healed tonight and so I believe that there's an encouraging word I'm glad to bring an encouraging word I'm aware that I'm sad most of the times in my sermons I'm aware that I tell people you're either going to leave blessed or depressed I don't know which one hopefully blessed but usually I'm on downers, I'm not going to lie. But I am excited to encourage somebody to walk in some victory tonight. Amen? Amen. So, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share some revelation. God is real. Let's get a little more on that one because then we'll have to start over. God is real, right? Amen? Amen. God is real. All right. I've seen too much to be convinced otherwise. I've seen too many things God do in my life to be convinced that he is not real. But not only is God real, but God loves me. He also loves you too, luckily. He loves all of us. He loves you tonight. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you before you were born. 
God loves you before you messed up. God loved you the day you messed up. God loves you the next day after you messed up. No mistake, no sin, no circumstance can change God's love for you. Yes, things happen in your life. Yes, changes come in your life. Yes, there's twists and there's turns. But one thing that will never change is God's love for you and that Jesus has already died on the cross for you and for your sins while you were still a sinner. He died for you while you were still in the muck, while you were still in the miry clay. Jesus died for you saying, yeah, there may be twists, there may be turns, there may be things that you may, that may change in your life but what's never changing is Jesus already died for it Jesus already died for your sins Jesus already proves how much he loves you and nothing will change that and all he wants you to do is love him back and to love his creation which is you but how can we how can we love ourselves and not be a lover of self 2 Timothy 3 2 through 4 says for people will be lovers of self Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There's a long list of things in there that I even got lost in without listing all of them. But there is something in this passage that interests me. That it says lover of self. So we know that the word lover is in there. But also in the description it says loveless, unloving. I was like, well, how can a lover of self be unloving? How, how, does, that, how does that work? And it's because when someone is a lover of self, it is not true love that is in there, but rather it's lust. And whenever people say lust, people... Every time people tense up because they're thinking about sexual lust, it's not always sexual lust, but it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So the way you can distinguish lust and love is one thing, and pastor teaches us this often, is lust always takes and love always gives. And when you are a lover of self, you take for yourself. Your own personal desires, your own personal wants. And this is the pride that often leads to destruction. But whenever you are truly and biblically loving yourself, you give of yourself. That you sacrifice, you serve, you submit to God and his will and to your spiritual authority. And Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is an acceptable and perfect will of God. So what it is is to give of yourself. If you're constantly taking for yourself, if you're constantly taking, what do I want? What do I want to get? What do I want to take from this service? What can they have for me? And you are not pouring out. You are not loving God's creation, but you are busting after your own desires. You're a lover of self. But giving yourself to the correct kingdom is one of the greatest ways to love yourself. To find a place to serve, to find a ministry that the church needs help in, to talk to pastor about getting involved. Don't talk about what the church needs, but do what the church needs for you to do. And watch as your life becomes to become more fulfilling. As you stop talking about what the church needs to do and you start becoming what the church needs for you to be, you'll begin to see your life 
blossom. You'll begin to see the church grow and multiply because we are giving to the kingdom. We are loving God's creation. We are loving ourselves, and we are fulfilling the greatest commandments. Being a lover of self takes, but loving yourself gives. Loving yourself also, though, it's a mental battle. A lot of it you can't see physically. It's things that happen between your ears, and it can be sneaky. And did you know that you can also have low self-esteem and also be self-centered? Sometimes I thought you couldn't, you know. No, I'm very humble. I hate myself. I'm very humble. I'm terrible at this. And you realize, you, think, you trick yourself, and you're thinking that you're being humble the whole time. But if all of your thoughts are about your weaknesses and about your shortcomings and about your flaws and all of these mistakes, your mind is not on anything but yourself. And you're looking down. You're not looking unto God, the author and the finisher of your faith. You're not looking to the one that can help, the one that can restore, and the one that can redeem. But you are looking at yourself alone. Your mind is only on yourself, and there is no way you're properly loving your neighbor because you can't even see him. But because you are looking inwardly at your own weaknesses. But we're not the only ones that do that, do that luckily. We have Moses in Exodus 4, 10 through 13, that he's being sent by God to go speak to Pharaoh to let his people go. But Moses replies, and you would think it would be humbly. But all he does is focus and tell God how, he's, how God's wrong for calling him. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses says, please, Lord, send somebody else. Oftentimes and whenever God has given us a calling and given us something that we are wanting to do, but we talk ourselves out of it and we combat God with it by saying, but God, don't you know? Don't you know that I have a past? God, don't you know that I've made these mistakes? God, don't you know that I can't speak very well? God, don't you know what I am? And we begin to put ourselves in front of God's word. And we think that we are being humble by being aware of our mistakes and our flaws and our shortcomings. But instead, we are looking to ourselves greater than God's word. But I don't, want, I don't want this to be an excuse to, to ignore your faults, though. I don't think, well, Brother Stephen said that I can. And so, no, that's not a good idea. We can have flaws and be aware of them. But if, all, if that's all we're thinking about, we're not going to get anywhere. We have Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that I have learned and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, loving yourself doesn't mean that you ignore your faults and your flaws and your shortcomings. What it means is you look at it as an opportunity for God to grow you and develop you. Saying, yes, I do have a past, but I do know that my God is a redeemer. Yes, I do know that I struggle with forgiving other people, but I do know that God is able to heal my heart. Yes, I do know that I have struggled with this, but this is going to be an opportunity for God to move in me, to bring me through it, and to become a testimony. And so now the things that are becoming your, they were your shortcomings, they were your hindrances, are now an opportunity for hope. 
hope. You looked at them in despair. You looked at them hating yourself. You looked at them and you wish they weren't a part of you. But now as you begin to look at them through the lens of Philippians 4, 8 through 9, they now become an opportunity for hope and for God to move in your life. It means looking at them as places for God to grow you. Philippians 4.13 says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. That means the things you couldn't do before. The things that held you down, the things that prevented you from taking action. Now they are able to glorify God as they used to hold you up down. Now they lift you up. As they used to hold you back, now they propel you forward. That now your shame and your insecurities become transformative opportunities for God to work in and through us. So yes, acknowledge your weaknesses, acknowledge your flaws, but love yourself enough to let God work through them. To create greater things in those flaws. Love yourself enough to let God have control. Sometimes we have to acknowledge that loving thing, something enough means to let go of control of it sometimes. I know my wife and I, we had a bird. Where's my wife? There she is. We had a bird. We loved this bird. His name was Chico. And Chico was sick one night. And we didn't know what to do, but we loved this bird. I think the human nature thing would do is to hold the bird close and to make sure nobody touched the bird. He's sick. I love this bird. But we couldn't help the bird because we have no medical training in, in bird health. <laughs> I'm sure there's a scientific word for it. So we decided to drive in the middle of the night to Dallas, the only bird vet place that's open 24 hours and to place something that we loved into the hands of one that was qualified. That's what love is. Trusting in ourselves means hold on to it. Lover of yourself means hold on to it. I'm the only one that can fix it. Nobody else can touch it. Nobody else can touch my hurts. Nobody else can touch my heart. But I love myself enough to give it to the God that's capable. I love myself enough to say, I can't do it on my own, but my God can. I can't do this on my own, but I'm greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know that I can do things I never could do if I love myself enough to give myself to God. We have to, also we work hard, as we talked about before, to show this love and this grace and this mercy to others while we lack this self-love and this self-mercy and this self-grace. And we work hard to forgive others, yet we rarely show that mercy and grace to ourselves. Some of y'all might be really good at it. I don't know. I'm not. And so whenever I mess up, I beat myself up over it oftentimes over and over and I think about it time and time again and I will lay there at night and wonder why I did something 10 years ago. Anybody else? Okay, good. And so we never forgive ourselves from our past even though we have a God that's capable of forgiving us. We allow past mistakes and sins and decisions to hang over us and to suffocate our joy. But 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we believe the words in this Bible, if we believe the words in this book, if we believe the words in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that means we also have to believe the words saying that he is able to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if we're able to believe he's able to forgive, then we have to believe he's able to forgive us, to forgive ourselves and so we what we need to do 
is take these sins, take these things that maybe we've even already asked for forgiveness years ago, but we're still holding on to them, is to throw them at the altar, but then turn away. That's what repentance is, is to turn away. And oftentimes we ask for forgiveness, but we never let go. And we take it right back out the doors with us and we walk out with the thing we should have laid on the altar, but we allow this sin that should have been forgiven and cast away still weigh us down. But what we need to believe is that when you take your sins to God and ask for forgiveness and turn away from them, that you are forgiven. That it is gone. It's no longer a part of you. It is under the blood. It's no longer your name anymore, but God has transformed. He has redeemed. He has cleansed. But too many times we bring our sins to the altar and we never lay them down. And if I can nerd out to you a little bit, we, we oftentimes have the same issue Superman has. I've talked about this before, but you're like, wonder, like, how, what issues does, does he fly too fast? What is it? What is this? What is Superman's problem? Superman's problem, what's Superman's only weakness? Kryptonite. So, kryptonite, some of you were learning, and some of you were like, yes, I know. Superman is a. <laughs> His only weakness is a, it's a, this, this, this thing called kryptonite, and kryptonite are just fragments of a, of a planet, a planet named what? Krypton. Now, if you, are, if you study the lore of Superman, the planet of Krypton was destroyed, and it was dying, and so they send Superman to Earth to carry on the lineage of Krypton to be something greater instead of dying with the planet. And so there are little fragments of this now dead planet that are on earth and throughout the universe and that is Superman's only weakness. How does this fit into a church service? What this is saying is the only weakness of Superman is fragments of a place that does not even exist. And so what that talks about right here is oftentimes we allow something to hold us back that is evidence of a place that does not exist anymore, that is no longer a part of you. And so you begin to say, well, I can't move forward anymore because do you remember who I used to be before I came to church? Do you remember what I used to do before I came to church? Do you remember I used, I used to cuss a lot and now I teach Bible studies, but I used to cuss with these friends. What am I going to do? And you are allowing kryptonite, you are allowing fragments of a place that no longer exists to weaken you and to be able to suffer you of your power and of your joy so do not be like Superman but claim the forgiveness and leave the past behind you Philippians 3 13 says forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before the I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus sister Meyer I think this is the most memory verses of your class that I could fit into a sermon I think there's all of them I don't know, but it's just about all of them in there. But loving yourself as a child of God is removing yourself from condemnation, a place that you do not belong, and placing yourself into somewhere that you're meant to be, which is in his marvelous light, in his perfect will. To love something properly is to make sure it resides where it belongs to respect and to honor something is to have a standard of where it resides and where it is kept a a van gogh painting belongs in a museum a chevrolet corvette brother ronnie hello it belongs on the open highway we have standards for valuable things. There's a standard for valuable things and where we keep them and where they're able to belong. And if somebody were to see you 
and have a Van Gogh painting crammed into your, your junk closet. Or if you, they drove by and they saw that you had a Corvette rusting away in your pasture. And throw up our, the title slide because now it makes more sense. Seeing a Corvette rusting away in your pasture, people probably would not let that slide. Brother Ronnie himself would probably not let that slide. Seeing that Corvette rusting away in that pasture, but that he'd probably knock on your door, door and say, what are you doing? Don't, don't you know? Don't you know what you have? That, that that painting does not belong here. That painting belongs in a museum. That, that car does not belong out there. That car belongs on the open highway. Those where you're keeping these things or you're allowing them to stay is not where it was created to be. Why are you allowing it to be there? And we would get upset about it. And we would be wondering how in the world would they allow these things of such high value reside somewhere that it is not meant to stay in. But yet we turn around and we allow ourselves as children of God that are fearfully and wonderfully made and created in the image of God to remain in darkness and to rust away, to sit in the darkness and go throughout life without purpose. Isolated by our sins and crippled by our past traumas and our experiences and we settle for less when we were created for more. It's like the prodigal son. Settling for the food of the pigs that they were eating. The son was meant to live in the father's house. The the son was meant to eat what the father was eating. The son was meant to wear the clothes that the father had for him. He was meant to live under the roof of the father and to operate and to rule as the father did. But he allowed himself to become a lover of self. That he didn't have true love for his father. That he didn't have true love for the creation for himself. And he allowed himself to be a lover of self. And it removed him from all his father had for him. And taking his inheritance and pursuing a self-focused lifestyle and finding him alone and hungry. But scripture says that he came to his senses. That he was there in the midst and he had suffered from being a lover of self and it took him as far as it could take him, but he came to his senses in a sense of love that his father had instilled in him began to rise up. Brother Jerry... Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he grows older, he will not abandon it. He had gone as far as this life could take him, being a lover of self. But as he got to the bottom, as he began to settle for less and for less, the love of his father began to rise up in him. He began to remember where he used to be, what he was born into, what he used to to be he was what he was created for, what he was supposed to be operating in. He began to say, where I am staying right now, I'm not meant to be in here. Where I'm staying right now, I've gotten myself in this situation, but I have a father that loves me. I have a father that's got a house for me, and I've got to get up out of this situation. I've got to get up out of this grave, and I've got to go to my father. I love myself too much to stay in the pigsty. I love myself too much to stay in my situation, but I know that there's a father that loves me. I don't belong to this world. I don't belong to my flesh. I don't belong to my mistakes. I don't belong to my past. I belong in my father's house. And it says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here from hunger. I will set out and I will go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your side. That's how you have to love yourself. Is to love yourself too much to remain in the darkness that you are in. To love yourself too much to stay in the circumstance you have found yourself in. But to say, I've got a father 
that I can go to. I've got a father whose house I can reside in. I've got a father who loves me and is calling me out to place your life into God's hands, to surrender all to him and watch everything begin to change. Musicians, you may come. As you begin to love yourself and the creator and God's creation, watch your sins lose power over you. Watch your addictions begin to break. Watch your anxiety turn to peace. Watch your depression turn to joy. Watch your trauma turn into a testimony. Oftentimes, we didn't choose the things that happened to us. We didn't choose how people treated us. We didn't choose the situations we got ourselves into. We didn't choose what happened to us, but we can choose to love ourselves enough to call on the Father. We can choose to answer the call Amen. to move into his victory. So Luke 15, 20. So he set out and he came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. God has loved you the whole time. God sees you the whole time. God knew where you were the whole time that you were struggling, the whole time that you felt like you were lost, the whole time you weren't loving yourself. He was loving you. And he was ready for you to come back. He was ready for you to love yourself enough to place yourself back into his hands, back to be molded, to be a new creation, to be what you were called to be, to love yourself enough to give yourself up into his hands. To love yourself enough to refuse to live in hell and then to go to hell. But to experience salvation. To be saved. And salvation is to repent. To be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. To love yourself enough to acknowledge that I cannot do it on my own. That I can't pull myself out of it, but I love myself enough to put myself into the hands of the God who can give me power. The God who can pull me out of my darkness, the one that can pull me out of my addiction, the one that can pull me out of my marriage situation, the one that can pull me out of my abusive relationship, the one that can pull me out of where I have found myself in and I need myself out. I know that I love myself enough that I don't need to stay here anymore and God did not create me to stay here. And so if you have not received the Holy Ghost tonight with evidence of speaking in tongues, tonight you're not. If you have allowed circumstances to kill your joy, but you're ready to experience God's love and healing and restoration power, tonight is your night. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, tonight is your night. If you have decided that I love myself too much to have another bad Monday, I love myself too much to stay in the sin, in the sickness, in the bondage that I have lived in, but I know that my God has more for me, tonight is your night. And all you have to do is stand up. So what we're going to do is everybody's going to stand up. And these altars are open for you to make the decision that I love myself too much to stay where I am. I love myself too much to stay in sin. I love myself too much to remain depressed. I love myself too much to remain in bondage. But I'm giving everything to God. I'm giving everything to Christ. I'm giving everything to the one who can change it. These altars are open right now. And I believe lives are going to be changed. I believe that every single person right now is going to experience a move of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And by the word of my testimony, overcome.
we're gonna leave this place rejoicing tonight. That we think we've made commitments, we've made decisions in our mind to love ourselves too much, to stay where we were, to stay where we are. But now we're gonna make the decision to get up out of the grave, to get up out of where we were, to get up out of the situation we found ourselves in, to realize the hell has lost another one tonight, but I love myself too much to stay down, but I'm getting up out of that grave. I'm getting up and I'm moving into my promise. I'm moving into my promise. I'm moving into my promise. I'm moving into my answered prayer. I'm moving into it. Because God hasn't let me down yet. And he's not going to anytime soon. So begin to think about where you were. Get up, get up, get up. Where God brings you to with a dance, with a shout, with a worship that we're moving into our Monday. Get up where we walked into on Sunday. Get up, 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 get